All right, welcome to week 24 of the Helped Podcast. And here's Matt with announcements. It's March Madness. We're uh, recording this with the games going on, which means, David, I'm going to need you to carry the load on this one because there's less than a second left in this one, and it's a nail-biter. A second left? Who's playing? This is uh, San Diego State College of Charleston. This way you know roughly what time we're recording this game. 0.7 seconds left. San Diego State pretty much just iced it with a couple free throws to go five. I'd say no spoilers, but I guess if everybody hears this tomorrow morning, then they'll already know it's going to happen. And this one is really an upset, so it's not that big of a deal. Let's talk about upsets. What about that Furman? That was a that was a big one. I mean, I couldn't even tell you where Furman is. I'd guess, I don't know, I'll say South Carolina. What do you think Furman is? Uh, oh, man. Uh, literally no idea. You know how I am with geography. Furman College is in Greenville County, South Carolina. Woo! Ooh, nailed it. Score one for me. All right, so now on to uh, non-March Madness-related announcements. Uh, you know, I don't know if it, it really counts as an announcement because it's kind of been something in the works and not really a grand launch, but we've been working on our pricing plans. When we first launched, we were very focused on delivering a you know per-minute model to provide just flexible support. We are there to take the calls when you need, but if you needed some outbound support as well, we were able to do that. As we've moved into some new verticals and as we've spoken to a variety of clients, we've uh, had a lot of requests for alternative models, specifically uh, one being per ticket rather than per minute. Similar structure, just the idea being that it's more flexibility. You don't know exactly how long a call is going to take in this way. You know, you can anticipate the rough failure rate of your product and, and just uh, account for the calls that will come in accordingly, um, or alternatively, a per-user rate. And as we've worked with a lot of MSPs, we've seen that they are billing their clients per user, and they basically just want to, uh, you know, have some cost associated with that revenue that they have coming in. So. Mm-hmm. You know, as we engage with more clients, we want to do our best to focus on the customer experience for our customers and have plans that fit their needs. Would like to hear your feedback, whether you're in the market for our services or not. Uh, Want to hear what you think would be the best for you if this were something that you needed. Um, what sort of pay structure, what sort of model would be the one that that fits your needs? You know, the thing that I love about that MSP pricing, where it's per user. Go ahead. It's that it's bolt-on. We say, hey, we're a bolt-on help desk for you. We're you know bolt-on level one, level two, supplementary, whatever. We're just going to come in, do our thing, and, and bolt-on. And now we're making it easy for the financial part of that, right? You charge X, we borrow a little bit away from that X, and you know exactly how much it's going to cost to support each one of your customers. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's something where most MSPs are charging the range of, what, $150, $200 per user per month, and we're just such a tiny fraction of that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a tiny fraction that can really reduce the, the time burden, the demand yeah. for those customers, especially the, uh, the frequent flyers, as we call them, the ones calling all the time. I love it. Shill episode. Shill episode. Oh, always wait, no? a shill episode. Oh, no, right. not actually the, the topic for today. The what topic is the topic for today is about self-service support. So now we mentioned a while back that uh, you know the younger generations tends to want to be able to solve problems for themselves. They want to be able to look up how to do it. They want to find the, the YouTube video that gives them all the troubleshooting steps. Whereas, you know, the older generation tends to be the sort to pick up the phone, make the phone call to get that support. We just want to talk a little bit about the pros and cons of you know the offering that you might be delivering to your customers. All right, hold on. I'm going to take my helped glasses off and let's talk about the pros of self-service. Obviously, if somebody can have an issue, go straight to your website, go to an app or whatever it is and resolve their issue, if they can do that in a minute or two minutes, that's going to be the fastest path. That's a huge pro. 
But the con exactly to that is you need to be structured in such a way to let them do that. If you have the sort of product where it's always the same three issues, it's probably pretty easy to document that. But if you have a product with any sort of nuance, it's going to be really hard to put together some sort of troubleshooting workflow that'll actually allow one of your users to troubleshoot for themselves. All right. Help glasses back on. You're absolutely right. This idea of a good agent comes down to critical thinking. And we're not saying that the people aren't wildly capable of other things, but somebody that comes onto a self-service platform that has a handful of little details and notes and things to follow, you know, may not have that same troubleshooting, critical thinking, technical agent type background, and they may just be lost. That's fair. It, it is, you know, there are pros and cons both ways. If somebody is willing to do that troubleshooting for themselves, chances are they're vaguely technical. They're at least more familiar with the product and kind of willing to to get their hands a little bit dirty. So maybe that is the person that you really want to essentially train on how to do that troubleshooting. In this case, you're you're training your customer. Uh, And then the other benefit for you, obviously, is you you don't need to worry about the agent. That that self-service, not only is it the fastest for your customer, but it keeps your overhead down because you don't need to worry about those calls and those tickets coming. All right, all right, all right. Rebottle. Let's talk about how fast it actually is. I mean, when was the last time that you went to a self-service portal where maybe it was an automated bot or something like that, and you had to select options? Like, what are you, you know, requesting today? You know, is it billing or is it sales? Is it whatever? You know, do you have a support need? You know, how much time does that actually take? All right. Well, let me give a, a semi-personal experience here. Ooh. So first, let me just say that the, the bots are awful. I find them to be the most maddening thing because the categories that they offer are, are so limiting. It's, it's always hard to know exactly which one to choose. I think instead, when you don't need to have a quote-unquote conversation with a bot, but rather can just go into the different menus yourself, it's much better, even if it looks a little bit more daunting up front. The, the specific example I'm actually thinking about, I, I had a call. It was sort of just a you know, networking intro a little bit earlier today with you know, maybe somebody that we have a, a chance to, to partner with. We were talking a little bit about how their support team is set up. Um, and I found on their website that they have tons of support documentation tons of self-service stuff. In fact, when I looked at it, it was daunting. The concern was that it wasn't just two or three or four categories to choose from. There were eight or nine different types of failure, I guess, types of documentation that you would need to dig through. So I liked the idea of being able to go and, and find some you know troubleshooting steps for myself, but it does get a little bit challenging. Even though it was well laid out, easy to read, easy to, to navigate through, it, it's a little bit intimidating seeing that there's so much there and trying to figure out exactly what my issue is and find those right steps. And imagine being the confidence of the consumer, right? Like, oh, I'm checking out this new product and the confidence goes to the garbage when you see that there's a hundred possible things that are going to go wrong with it right on the website. Like, don't obfuscate, don't keep anything away from the consumer, but like, uh, it seems a little scary to me. Well, and in this case, it was a complicated, nuanced product, not one I'm an expert in, but it's one of those things where it's, you know, next generation tech technology. So I can completely understand why Mm. it's not foolproof, especially now, you know, maybe five years, it'll be uh, much simpler, straightforward and and less error prone, but especially new technology. Now, you know, you kind of get some of the the warts along with the growth. Um, But no, I I completely understand what you're saying. Seeing just all those possibilities makes you think, gosh, what, what could go wrong next? Um, But I think at the end of the day, the, the big challenge is that if somebody dives into that navigation, eager to solve their own problem and they don't, that's just 
a lot of frustration. And I, I mentioned this to the person I was talking to, Zach, it was good to speak with you. Um, and I also said, hey, you know, if I go through this documentation and I can't find the right solution, I'm frustrated after 45 minutes of searching, I don't even see a phone number on here. Like, how do I get a hold of you? It turned out they do actually have a support number, not 24 7. Um, but they do actually have a support number during business hours that is always manned. They just don't publish it. They don't want to get junk calls. They don't want to get those sales calls. Um, but when somebody signs up as a customer, they'll just communicate that number to them. But so there's no such thing as pre-sales for this company? I, I guess not. I guess if there is, they must handle it a different way. Honestly, we didn't go down that. I mean, what's what's your pre-sales experience? Do you need to be taking support calls for pre-sales? Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a big piece of the puzzle. You said that this was a nuanced product, right? So imagine if I found this website and I say, yeah, I want to buy this thing. You know, if there's no way for me to, you know, do a quick check and say, here's a configurator and it shows compatibility or make a quick phone call and get a hold of somebody and say, hey, is this going to work for my thing? Then again, the consumer confidence just goes to the garbage. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I think in this case, maybe it was more solution oriented. Maybe that's the justification. Maybe it's not just a matter of being able to self configure. Um, Maybe it is something where you really do need to talk to an engineer. So maybe there's just a sales line separate from the support line. Uh, and, and that's how they handle that. I mean, yeah. I, I guess the the other side of that, you know, we talk about numbers being published and how they just wanted to avoid the, the junk calls. Mm-hmm. Do you have any experience calling a support line when you don't need support? What? I feel attacked right now. I mean, yes, of course. You know, in most cases, you know, I know that if I'm calling a company and I'm looking to speak to somebody at that company, if I hit dial one for support, I'm going to get somebody to answer the phone. And when I don't, uh, well, obviously, I'm going to say, hey, why don't you have somebody answering the phone there when I dial one? But I get it. It could be frustrating to get a bunch of sales calls. The problem is, how do you how do you weed that out? You know, if 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 we're saying we're a customer experience focused organization and, you know, we're providing this product to our customers and we want to be there for them, then you kind of you have to take the good with the bad. Yeah, I mean, my I think my takeaway from all of this is that. For one, there is no right answer. And for Mm -hmm. two, the only way to get to the right answer for your business is to be thoughtful about it. It, It's easy to just have a knee jerk. Oh, we don't have failures. We don't have problems. Our customers don't need to call us. Or, oh, we... You know, our fail, our product is so difficult, so complicated, we can't possibly have our customers solving their own problems. Or we can't publish documentation because then our competitors are going to steal it. You know, maybe there is some truth in, in any of those. Um, but I, I think really it's about finding that balance, about recognizing who your customers are, how, you know, what sort of volumes you might see from them, how you can best support them. Wait, are you saying that we need to have flexible plans so that we can integrate with whatever way of life that these different consumers of ours are I thought with? we stopped the show. Oh, we right, weren't right, going right. to mention how we do phone, chat, email, uh-huh, etc. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we look handsome while doing it. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to run a, a little long here. we got to get back to the games. I'm actually going to give the horror story this week. And it's not a terrible horror story, but it, it ties in a lot to exactly what we're talking about today. Wait, so, do you think that there was some influence on that with this? Is that what made us decide to have this be the topic for today? No, no. Mm -hmm. Surely we we plan these podcasts weeks in advance. We already have a schedule out through June. Of course. So when we moved into this office last year, we uh, we bought some monitor arms so that we can have nice big monitors sitting next to our laptops and have everything we need upon those monitors. It. I've had this monitor arm for I don't know about six months now. 
And I went to press the button to turn my monitor on. Not sure why I had to do that. Didn't turn it off last night. But when I did that, it, it lost the tension, which meant that the monitor just kind of floated up to the maximum height, which was way above where I wanted. If you've ever been on a video call with me, you probably see that I'm already looking up above the camera because my, my camera is basically below the big monitor. But at this point, you basically would have been staring at my neck because I had to stare at the ceiling to see my monitor. It, it wasn't working. Tried to tolerate it through a couple hours, and eventually I had some free time, and I decided I was going to look up some troubleshooting steps. I went to the company's website to see what can I do to fix it. There look was, up? Was that a pun? Exactly. Oh, man. That's what I was going for. There's, there was no self-help on their website, so I figured maybe this is something I, you know, I know that to create the tension, there's this little nut that you tighten or loosen. I'd played with that. Nothing really seemed to work. I tightened it. I tightened it. I tightened it. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. I tightened it more. Tightened it more. Eventually, I hit the point where it was as tight as it could possibly go. I figured maybe something that it was connected to was, was broken, and then that was that. So I decided to call them. They had an automated system. It was pretty easy to use. Uh, it told me how far I was in the queue. I was actually number two in the queue. Uh, it gave the option to leave a voicemail if you wanted to do that. And it gave the option to have them call you back. So I figured I was number two in the queue. This wasn't going to take more than two minutes. I, I sat on hold for about 10 minutes, at which point I decided to have them call me back. Uh, this was, I don't know, three or four hours ago at this point. Uh, I was number two in the queue. I guess the guy who was before me must have had a really, really, really complicated problem because still no call back. Um, meanwhile, I would have liked to have never had to call them in the first place, but what I ended up doing was basically deciding I was going to take the entire thing apart and rebuild it and see if that fixed it. As part of that process, I completely loosened the nut that uh, handled the tension, and while I was at it, I retightened it very little and noticed it was starting to work again. So not sure what went south, wanted to be very self-service, Ended up solving the issue myself, no thanks to the company. So, bad experience, I guess, in I'm, that I'm pretty support- sure that's the best way to deal with customer issues, right? Get them so frustrated that they go back and basically get ready to tear apart your product and happen upon the solution. Put your head in the sand, ignore it, hope it goes yeah, away. Exactly. All right. Well, you, you, you've heard it from David. That is the way to solve any <laughs> customer issue. Just ignore it, hope it goes away. So in this case, my problem got resolved, no thanks to the company. So if somebody were to ask me, hey, would you recommend a monitor a monitor stand from this company? I'd say no. You know, It'll probably work pretty well, but if anything ever goes wrong, good luck getting all of them. How long do you think you're going to be in the queue for? I don't know. I'll probably get a call back at 2 in the morning. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening to episode 24. Vroom, vroom. Vroom.